Hello and welcome to the Scottish Music Centre's podcast, In Tune. I'm Keith Beattie and today I've got the pleasure of speaking to Arusa Qureshi, who is an extremely talented writer and editor who has just released an excellent book about women in hip-hop called Flip the Script. How are you doing, Arusa? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Fantastic. I am good, thank you. <laughs> so, as I always ask in these sort of podcasts, take us back to the very beginning, like, how did it all begin music-wise for you? What did you sort of... So I grew up playing instruments. Um, I, I played the violin, the piano and the guitar and I was convinced that I would study music. Um, but I realised kind of by the time I was a teenager that I was much better at and enjoyed writing about music more than playing it. Um, and, you know, I, I played the violin from the age of like five or so um, and so I was really, really into it, but, and I love, I still love playing music, but there's just something different about writing about it that I just, just felt very passionate about. And so I was interested in music journalism from, yeah, from quite a young age. And I'd basically just kind of practice all the time and just review things for myself and write, you know, write about music for myself in journals. Um, and that led to doing reviews for some kind of random online blogs, um, before uni. And then I guess I started to take it a bit more seriously and take journalism more seriously when I was at uni. Um, and while I was there, I studied English. Um, I did my dissertation on hip hop. And that was really the start of a kind of love affair with reading and writing and researching about this genre of music that I was already really kind of obsessed with. And since then, I've always kind of um, joked to people that oh, my dream is to be like a doctor of hip hop or a hip-hop scholar and it was always a joke but actually when I went to pitch this book to 404 Inc for their Inkling series I realised that maybe it wasn't. So when you were writing these things in your journal like how what what gigs did you do was it gigs or albums you reviewed or singles or stuff? It was always singles and albums and uh, there was a couple of like music websites that don't exist anymore that um, like kindly let me go to gigs and review them um, and I definitely went to a couple of gigs that I shouldn't have been at because I was too young. <laughs> um, and actually, like, there's a couple of people that I, I'm quite friendly with now who I would have met back when I was, I don't know what age, who let me into those gigs. <laughs> um, but it was just a, a pure love and passion for being able to share, you know, my, my love for music, really. And, and again, as much as I loved playing it, that wasn't the right path for me it was sharing it that was more important to me I think funny that's funny um and did you have like a blog or anything that was all written like handwritten journals or was it online uh, I did try to have like a kind of I think it was a wordpress blog at one point but it was most to be honest like when I when I listened to something I just would just write it down like in in like a notebook or something um just so it was like an immediate thing and that was kind of how I would practice and then I tried to do it a bit more formally by putting it on the blog um but I never really you know went very far with that so that's when I started to kind of um pitch or not even pitch but just email kind of websites and stuff and see if anyone would would take any reviews um and that's really how I started. Was that how it began for you what was the first thing you sort of got into after you were you were writing it all on your own? Um I can't this is really bad but I can't remember the name of the website now because like at the end it was it was just a kind of music blog it doesn't exist anymore but um, yeah, it was just at the time, it was just singles that were mostly singles and albums that were coming out um, that the, the person that ran the website would 
send me like a link or, or he'd send me like a CD in the post. Actually, yeah, it was mostly a CD in the post that he sent me and he'd say, would you want to write about this? Um, and that was how that was how it began. And um, I wish I could remember exactly what all the kind of things I was writing about, but I just can't. <laughs> it all blur, kind of blurs into one for me. <laughs> what was the first job then that you took on? Like the first, what would say, a real job when you started writing? Like... Um, so I had my first proper job in magazine publishing um, for a company that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and it was during, right at the time of my master's degree. Um, and it was, uh, I was mostly working on a magazine called Scotland Outdoors. So right. totally different to like, you know, the arts and what, what I'm involved in now. But um, yeah, it was, it was a great place to work and absolutely lovely people. And um, I kind of started out just as an intern and then quite quickly they took me on more regularly a couple of days a week during, during my first degree. And then um, I kind of worked a bit more during my master's and then while I was doing all that I was writing for places just for fun really and I started writing for the list um around the time and then when I left my master's degree I started working at the list which was linked to my master's because I did a placement there and I kind of just refused to leave (laughs) so that's kind of how long were you at the list then were you there for a while um four and a half years in total right and it was all printed then it wasn't online is that right uh I was looking after both printed online so um, I became the editor about two years into working there. So I started as an intern and then basically just through the course of people leaving and then me applying for their jobs, eventually I, I became the editor and um, it, I was the editor of the magazine, but I was, it was very much the website as well. And so it was kind of mixed print and online. So what's that job like being an editor of, a, of that? Is it, you, need, you have to read everything that comes in. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved it. I really did. And um, it's very full on. Um, I still do a, like editing kind of work for other places as well. And I realized that that's what I love doing the most, just kind of, yeah, taking it all in and being able to like pick out the best bits and commission other people to like, you know, re- respond to things. And obviously I still r- love writing myself too, but um, I think the thing I love the most about it was just that it's, it's that kind of job is different every day. Yeah. And especially if you're in the arts, it's just very varied and no one day will be the same as the next. And that was always what I find found most exciting about it. I was going to say that. Did you find your sort of own writing and the things that you would like to pursue sort of took a backseat when you were editing stuff for writing? Or? I think because I was always interested in writing my music, that was always the thing that I kind of, when I, when I came to being able to write myself, I would always lean towards doing that naturally. So even though I had to have knowledge of like all areas of the arts, mm-hmm. that was my kind of specialty. And um, I would try to keep that going in the background as well. So, yeah. So pre-COVID and post-COVID, like the idea of um, interviewing people or features and things, obviously you couldn't go to shows, but would you do like like this type of thing where you would do a Zoom interview with someone? Is that or would you you'd rather be in person interviewing people if you a feature? Um, I I definitely always prefer to interview people in person or over Zoom just because I like to be able to see people. Um, but in in my like career, I've done Zoom, phone, in person, all of those things over the pandemic. Definitely, it was all Zoom, and I'm so grateful that we did have the option of that because. Honestly, like my book wouldn't have existed without Zoom because everything had to happen, you know, over online because I couldn't I couldn't go down to London and other places to meet people. Um, And yeah, I'm 
I think it's just much better to be able to see somebody and see their kind of facial expressions and stuff. Although I still do like phone interviews all the time whenever they come up. I can imagine it'd be more fun than the email ones. You can sometimes tell, I think, when, when it's been an email interview, you know, it's like, I always think you can tell in magazines or um, on websites and blogs, you can tell. Yeah, because it's like you can pick out when you're when you're seeing somebody's face, you can pick out certain ways that they respond to things. And that's always the most interesting part in an interview. I think the kind of little bits that other people wouldn't wouldn't get just over, you know, email or phone. Exactly. It's this conversational aspect of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. let's let's go in let's talk about Flip the Script because I'm I'm really interested how it came about like why you decided to write this book um, and the process and how what, what came behind it so Flip the Script is for people that don't, don't know it's a book about women in hip-hop specifically women in UK hip-hop and it's not really a history of the genre but it's more you know, me presenting the thoughts and opinions of women who have done incredible things in UK hip hop over time and the people I think deserve to kind of be seen as a significant part of its history. Um, and I guess the way it came about, hip hop's just something that I'm really passionate about. And like I said, I, I focused in on it during uni, um, my dissertation. And it's important to me, not just as music, but as as culture as something to like write about and analyze and delve into and I've written quite a lot about American hip-hop over over the past however many years and the idea of like the roots of the genre um but again this book was more about shining a light on women in the UK that I felt were really changing the game Mm -hmm. and hip-hop you know it's kind of morphed as it's traveled the world as it started obviously started in the Bronx and this book is really an ode to the women who I think are like leading charge and not just in, in hip hop in the UK, but in, in London, but in all parts of the UK, that was really important to me. Yeah. But the, the thing that really kicked it off was um, in 2020, when I was kind of thinking about this um, and I'd lost my job and I was kind of feeling a bit all over the place. Um, but that year, the winners of the Say Award were obviously Nova mm-hmm. um, and then the, the winner of the Welsh equivalent was a rapper called Dea and then in, in Ireland um, Denise Chyla was the winner of the Choice Music Prize so that was all in 2020 and maybe that's a coincidence but to me it just wasn't it felt like it was evidence for things something that was happening already for a long time and I could you know pinpoint exactly where we were and where I believe we were with hip-hop in the UK and it was just really exciting so that was the kind of thing that really forced me to to put in a pitch and just go for it. Yeah, amazing. And you could hear, you could sort of hear when I was reading the book, I could feel the sort of love you've got for it. And it was actually really good because it, it sort of reminded me of like, my, my, I grew up, it was all guitar-based stuff, I was in bands and things, but I always had this love for hip-hop as well through my brother. And I think it was your sister you mentioned. like yeah. So my brother, like we shared a room all through life. So in bunk beds, so he would get up and he'd be like bouncing all kinds of hip hop. And then there was a pile of, he mentioned hip hop connection to HHC magazines. There was a pile of them under his bed. Yeah. And it was all kinds of things like from Ice Tea, Beastie Boys, Ice Cube, everything. It's amazing how much like siblings can influence your music taste, right? I always find yeah. people always say that. And it's, yeah, I owe it all to my sister because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been exposed to yeah. so many incredible rappers early on. But it's full circle. It's like now, I'm I'm sending him things and I'm like so I'll go to the Great Escape every year and come back and it's all grim yep. and relaxed and I'm sending him like if he heard this 
you know, passing things on to him. Yeah, it's only CD. I buy. I buy one CD every year, and I buy it from my brother for his Christmas. It's always a hip hop record, and I think he's not heard. That's really cool. So like that's that, he gets. Um, so that was that was my kind of entry point. Um, I was dead surprised. I think I said I was really surprised because I'd read this. There's a great book by Bob Stanley, where they mention um, the cool hair, the whole cool hair thing, the block parties. Yeah. His sister. It was a Cindy Campbell story, which I love. Yeah. I love the fact that um, she was the, almost like the gatekeeper. Like she opened the door for him to be like performing. It's like it's like. The whole thing's very masculine, just to remind them that, like, mm-hmm. it was a woman that put him on stage. I love that story so much, and I think it's really funny that um, technically the birth of hip hop was a fashion fundraiser. Technically, because it was the party that she threw was to raise money for like back to school clothes. Yep. And I wish more people knew that and kind of recognize that because maybe they would understand why it's so important to give women credit for being such a big part of certain genres. Um, just generally like what does need to change is just how much credit women are given for contributing to genres like hip hop um, so that we don't see names like Cindy Campbell's being erased because I'm I'm sure lots of people don't know that story and I was really glad in your book you mentioned you mentioned heaps of artists that I love but a couple of the ones I really was so glad to see again was Speech to Bell was one that just fell off my mind it happens you know you listen to so much music um, and she was fantastic live and she just sort of fell off the map for me um, Little Sims obviously but winning the, the prize at the Brits and, and I love her so much seen her so many times and I love her so much because she's 100% on her own independent doing it all on her own um, and I, I love also that you mentioned the quote about her you know the, the asking her about being a female rapper and she's like no I'm a rapper Yeah, I just happen to be female like I'm a rapper exactly that was like a really big thing in the book because you know I, I don't like I, I don't say I wouldn't say female rapper I would just say rapper and just like I wouldn't say like you know um I don't know female DJ I would just say DJ and I was kind of conscious of the fact that I was writing this whole book but I'd have to say female rapper um but I think the the, the important thing is that it's when you're when you're analyzing and you're thinking about how things have changed or what needs to improve it's important to distinguish so even though I wouldn't say female rapper in my daily speech, yeah. um, just for the purposes of research and the purposes of explaining what, you know, the kind of disparity that exists, it was important to kind of mention that. I think we can be really, really proud of the talent that we have in the UK. Um, like you said, like Speech to Bell and Little Sims. Little Sims, for me, is the best of the best. I just adore her. Um, and Speech to Bell, yeah, she she was and she still is absolutely incredible. And I yeah, I wish she got more credit and praise for her work. Um, obviously, I know she won the Mercury Prize, but even then, people didn't expect her to win and it didn't really take her to the levels that she deserved. Yeah. And then people like Little Sims, like you said, she won the Best New Artist at the Brits recently, which is such a lovely moment. And it was so like emotional and great. But why are we still calling her a new artist? That's what I don't understand. I know, you know, she should I have won the best artist, period, because she is. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes back to this idea, I think, of like almost underestimating women, not just in hip hop, but other genres too. Mm-hmm. And yes, attitudes and mentalities have changed, but you know, you can't ignore how many women are kind of at the top of their game at the moment. So we should be like supporting artists like Little Sims. Um, to go all the way and not just constantly describing her as up and coming because that's just what I feel constantly happens 
Yeah, I know. She's like four albums deep. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, let her be the best. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, the other thing that, that struck me was the being a, a young guy when listening to hip hop and also looking at HHC magazines, it's like the way the women are used for their, their body and image. And I think, especially in music videos in the 90s, like it, there was almost like, you know, that thing they talk about, like word bingo. It's like you had to have like a girl in a bikini, a, a car, gold. Like you had to have all these things in these videos. And um, I, I mean, America were probably far more guilty than, than UK hip hop, I would say that. How do you feel about that and and looking at that now? I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with women that embrace their sexuality. Like I absolutely adore Lil' Kim and Cardi B and Megan Stallion and all all those rappers. I love them. But I think the problem really is when the music industry decides that that's all they want from women. And that's when objectification happens and women become like the objects of, like you said, music videos and nothing else. But I don't blame hip-hop for that I blame the music industry and marketing and capitalism um in the book I interviewed Cookie Crew who are like the one of the first um women rappers like like group in in the UK and that was like the kind of highlight for me because they're just they're amazing um (laughs) but they told me that they felt really accepted and supported when they started out um but there was definitely a desire to kind of be better than the boys um because obviously the boys were the ones that were popular they, they were the ones that were doing well um and they always wanted to lyrically show that they could hold their own um and I think that's the mentality that really has carried on in UK hip-hop in particular that kind of maybe started with them I guess it's the idea of like forget forget what you're seeing here listen to what's coming out of my mouth first that was yeah. a quote from one of them in the book yeah. um and of course they dealt with misogyny and you know when they were starting out but then hip-hop for them was also it was poetry and it was radical thinking and it was you know the addition of things like sisterhood and and equality and being women yeah. um I think where hip-hop became inaccessible for women is yeah when capitalism and the music industry ruined it with massive marketing budgets and you know had this emphasis on image and nothing else and even Cookie Crew when they were doing well in America they could only go a certain to a certain point because like they told me um they could they just couldn't compete with with that because their image was very much tomboy and they were not going to change that um sure. it's, it's really sad because you think well what what could have been i guess yeah. um but but i really do believe that that in the uk for women there's always been this can listen to what's coming out of my mouth first mentality that really has just carried on and that's been the kind of emphasis. Going back to Little Sims, like you, you can't help but listening to what's coming out of her mouth because when you go and see her live, she's using a megaphone. But yeah. <laughs> so she's fierce, and, and even her lyrical content has got that same, you know, you know, very like listening to what I'm telling you, listening to what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, something. I think it's a, it's a very UK thing across, yeah. just not even just like London, but just across the UK. I feel like that's just at the core of hip hop in the UK. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting as well. That I can't remember who said it in the book, where it was like if you asked a random person to name top ten or twenty rappers, like people would would say men. Like, do you think that's changing? Um, yeah, I do. I do think it's changing. Um, in that you know, I, I wrote the book because I feel like we're at this really incredible place in hip hop, especially for women. Um. Yeah, like I said, I don't want to see UK hip hop lists with just men. But the thing that when I was writing the book, the thing that really depressed me was how little 
information and research that had already been done on women in UK hip hop and how many names I could only find like little mentions of them but then I would interview them and you know they had these amazing stories and it's just such a shame that you know they, they, their stories are, don't exist out there I guess um like I said the book is, is an ode to women leading the charge um but also yeah women that made it happen and and kind of paved the way so I think my book is just like one small element of like telling the story. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to, to tell. And I, I really want that the kind of wider hip hop story to really include women just going forward in general, because that's when you'll get the change in terms of, you know, the top 10 lists and stuff. They won't just be men. Yeah. It certainly looks like it. I mean, I'll be honest, it wouldn't be all men I would include now. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think you look at the lineup and sort of, it's getting slightly better, but if you look at the lineup like in, in some festivals, certainly like that's why I mentioned the Great Escapes. I think the Great Escapes very good at having and programming quite a lot of female grime artists, and it's it's always it's always those artists that I come back talking about. Yeah, always those artists, always the same. Um, I don't know something about it I really love. Um, and on that, I was going to ask about this this sort of idea of like this sort of colloquial thing. I've got friends who are Scottish that can't listen to Scottish rappers. Like can't they like, oh, can't handle that accent? Um, it took I'll be honest, it took me a while. Um, and I, I sort of mentioned a few like Kojak, and there's more obviously in Ireland. There's just, like Loki, Scotland, and Hector Berserk, and Slowtie from Northampton, and all these people all over the place. So, do you feel as though that's getting better? I think hip hop has always traditionally revolved around what's happening in London. That's just natural because you know that was where the heart of the music industry was. But there is like you said there's so much happening beyond um and the levels of talent that kind of exist all over the uk is something to be really excited about and yeah hip-hop scenes are thriving all over the place um to the point where we can't just look to london as the place with the best um there is talent everywhere but as you were saying with the thing with the accent i think a lot of early uk rappers did mimic the american accent because that was just popular and that was just what was known and that was what would lead to success so it makes total sense but then other people like London Posse, they're often credited for being the first, one of the first groups to like use their own accents, not to use like an American accent. Um, and they were incredible. And they they were, the whole thing for them was taking this genre that started in the Bronx and then transplanting it into a very localized context. So they were speaking for their generation and the generation of, of Black Brits that were born in the UK um, and people like London Posse and their, their accent was kind of Cockney Jamaican yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's great to hear, but I think people like them, they were really significant in, in kind of cementing an identity for UK hip hop around this time because of using them using their accent. And once it became normal, that's when you started to see kind of collectives and stuff popping up all over the place. Um, and then there was like a new, newfound respect for regional rap. Um, I think that, yeah, some people still find rapping in certain accents strange. I love it. I genuinely love it. I think it's so cool to hear different like languages and different accents um, because it just shows how far hip hop has come in terms of like dissemination. And we can really thank like the internet and social media for that, I guess, because it's allowed regional hip hop and grime scenes to, to kind of be taken seriously. And yeah. also just going back to like women, it's so important for women because the internet, you can just put anything up there. There's no, no longer permission needed to like, you know, share something. 
which is why I think we have so many more women in the genre that are actually getting attention now. And so for, for you, what's next then? Are you, is there plans for another book or some documentary series of what you've done? Or I would love to write another book. That would be awesome. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be hip hop, I guess, but I'd love to write more about hip hop. And um, I think my dream is to write somebody's biography. Don't know who. Really? <laughs> if that ever happens, I'll, I'll keep you posted. But um, that would be great because I just... Love, I love telling I love telling people stories. Um, but I've I've been a freelance writer and editor now for like a year, over a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I've been really enjoying it. I love what I do. And you know, losing your job is always the worst thing ever. But then actually, if I hadn't have done lost my job, I never would have written the book. I never would be doing all the like all the cool things I'm doing now. Um, mm-hmm. so I still write for you know, music journalism, in terms of music journalism, I still write for places like Enemy and Goldflake Paint and, and Clash and 45. And those are like regular things that hopefully will keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, I guess, that people might be interested in that I'm working on is um, I've helped curate the series of gigs with my good friend, Helena Rafai, um, that are coming up in March, April and May at the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And it, the series is called Amplify. And it's basically all about spotlighting musicians of colour in Scotland and who we we enjoy and we we just love and who are doing amazing things. So we've got um, Brown Bear, Pei, uh, B. Asha, who's an amazing spoken word artist, um, Bems, Washington, A.T., Clarissa Woods, Amanda, Jada and Jana Gabriel across the series. And yeah, I'm really excited about it because, again, it's just something different to what I usually do. And I realise how much... Yeah, I love sharing music with people, whether that's written or other, otherwise. Yeah, well, what a lineup! And is that is it a weekly thing in March or is it a festival? It's one day in March, one day in April, one day in May. Um, so I should be able to tell you exactly when those dates are, but I can't yeah. right now. <laughs> but it's a Wednesday. Each gig is a Wednesday, and the idea is that it's in a slightly smaller space in the Queen's Hall, so it's much more intimate. And um, yeah, I think it'll be really, really good. So I hope I hope people come to that. Brilliant. Larissa, thank you so much for taking the time today to have a chat with me. It's been great. No, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.